I am fantasy and paranormal romance author Leslie Penelope, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Saturday, October 1st, 2022, and this is episode 188 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. Today's episode is sponsored by A Ghost in Shining Armor by Therese Beharry. In this spellbinding romantic comedy set in Cape Town, South Africa, a woman with a supernatural talent is haunted by a persistent spirit. Gemma Daniels can see ghosts and helps them settle their unfinished business. But the hotter-than-hot stranger she impulsively kisses on a bet is not only a phantom, he's determined to help her. Levi Walker has a second chance at life if he helps reunite Gemma with her long-lost sister and then never sees her again. The only way Gemma can explain Levi's presence is to pretend they're a real-life couple, and this unique spin on a fake relationship blends romance, comedy, and real-world issues in a story with a touch of magic. A Ghost in Shining Armor by Therese Beharry is available wherever books are sold and at kensingtonbooks.com. So this week's best thing is that I finished. I finished my manuscript. I turned it in. It is out of my hands. So this is the Black Towns book that I've been working on for almost exactly a year. It was October of last year on my anniversary trip that I first got the idea for this book. This is the fastest I've ever had a book from first idea to finished draft. Now, it will still go through a revision revision process, but I don't know that I've ever done a book that was 91,000 words. The first draft is 91,000 words. My first drafts are usually short. So either I did better this time, or this is going to be a long book, and it will end up being 150,000 words. That's how it usually goes, the ratios. Because I write short and I add in the next in the next draft. But um, it's done. I turned it in. I, it was due today, October 1st. I actually turned it in on Thursday. So what happened was I finished the revision which meant rewriting or writing for the first time a lot of the end because the ending of my fast drafts are very thin. Those those chapters were like 300 words and they end up being 1,500 to 2,000 when I rewrite them. And so I hadn't touched the end a lot and I was worried about it. And so I finished writing it, I think on Saturday or Sunday. And then the, the idea was to print it all out and then read it on paper and make any final changes by hand. Author pro tip, buy pre-hole punched paper. You can buy paper that's already has three hole punches in it so that you don't have to spend all of your time with the hole puncher doing like six pages at a time of a 315 page manuscript. So someone recommended that to me years ago and it's changed my life. So I printed it out. I put it in a binder and I started reading through it. What I do is I use little um, sticky flags on the pages that need changes so that just helps me when I go back in to only flip directly to the pages that need that I need to change. And so I, I also, I don't like doing it in red ink. I have like PTSD from high school or something about, you know, a page marked in red. And so usually I use like purple or pink or green or just a happier color than red to to make my changes. And I'm doing everything from, you know, just cleaning up awkward language to line edit type stuff, commas, even though I'm sure I'm putting commas in where they don't belong and taking them out where they do belong. And the copy editor will undo all of that work later, but I do what I can. I'm trying. I'm really trying to understand what comma slices are. And then there's also things that need to change. 
I identified a whole chapter that needed to be rewritten because I had made changes to that character and their personality later in the book. And so this is the first chapter where you actually meet this character and his personality was way off. He was like, seemed like a crazy person. He really seemed like, like maliciously, and he's not supposed to be malicious, but it was just the tone was completely off. And I didn't know who he was when I was first writing it. And even in the revision process, I hadn't caught it because I hadn't written the very end. So I did that. There were a couple of other things that I had that I found that needed bigger changes. I also was reading through it with a list of things I already knew that I needed to add back in. Again, I'd gotten to the end and made some discoveries and then had to figure out, okay, where do I see this information earlier? Where do I mention it earlier so that the end is not the first time you're hearing about this thing? And that was part of this process. And so I split it up. I did 100 pages a day of reading, which was taking me hours. I mean, I was doing about, I can't remember now, but I would spend four hours maybe to get through 100 pages. And this is like deep, close reading and thinking about the words and the word choices and just the whole story, like having this macro idea of the story and making sure that everything was going together. And then also the micro, the sentences, the clarity of the words. Do I need to re- reword things? And that's why it was taking so long. And so I got through the, the read-through in three days. And then I spent Wednesday and part of Thursday typing in the changes. And then Thursday was formatting. And I was like, well, maybe I'll just, you know, give it a night to settle and, and, and send it on Friday. But it was like Thursday at 5.30. And I was like, you know, I'm going to fiddle with this. I'm going to obsess over this if I don't send it now. And so I just typed the email to my editor and hit send. And I was like, I just get it out of my hair. It becomes becomes my editor's problem now. So my thoughts on the draft. Overall, I feel good. I know that I got it as far as I possibly could without the intervention of someone else, you know, without feedback. The end is not a mess, but the end does need improvement I just don't know what it is. So a lot of times, you know, writers will ask, how do you know when a book is done? Well, A, the deadline. (laughs) But really, it's done when you can't do anymore. Or when whatever else you did would just be fiddly, it wouldn't be substantive. And you really need someone else's feedback to, to tell you what this book needs. So I sent it to my editor and I sent it to my brother, who was my first reader, and I told him, you have two months, because I think that's the time we agreed on my editor will take. And yeah, let me know. But I am very grateful to um, to have it out of my hair. So Friday was supposed to be a day of rest. I'm not going to write for probably a week um, and just recuperate. This book took a lot out of me. But on Friday, what I did do was draw the map. So I have a sketch of the map of the towns. The Black Towns book, it's about a black town in 1935 in the South. And I had to draw a map of the streets and where people lived, how long, you know, so I would know what route people were taking to get places, where the businesses are in this town, just to, to make it feel more full. And I wanted to do a visual representation of it because I do want to have a map in this book. I want to hire a map maker, illustrator to draw a map. I haven't told my editor yet this, but even if they don't want to pay for that, I'm fine paying for this myself because it's something that I really want. But I didn't think my little sketch was going to to hack it. And I've been looking for some kind of map making software. Um, I did 
draw the original map in Ersinger Chronicles myself in Photoshop. So the one that's in the hardcover version and the self-published versions are my artwork, as it were. But I was never really satisfied with that. So then I hired a real illustrator to do the maps that are in the paperbacks, the trade paperback versions. And I, I just love her work. I wanted to be able to give an illustrator something more to work with. And I looked at map making software like Incarnate, which I did, I played around with very briefly on the free trial and I didn't quite understand it at all. Um, I had previously on the podcast talked about Whimsical and Miro, which are sort of whiteboard software that you can use for mind mapping for like virtual Kanban boards, or I use them for sticky notes and plotting like online sticky notes. And I found another piece of software that is very similar to that, but with more features called eDrawMax that actually has map symbols in it. It has the little houses, it's got all kinds of stuff that I didn't see in Whimsical or Miro, or at least I didn't really look that hard because I like trying new software. Um, so yeah, eDrawMax, I, I built the map in that software. It's both online and something that you can download. And it is primarily paid. There is a free, a free trial, so it's kind of expensive. But I wanted to see what it was like. Um, and yeah, it's not a great map, but it's good enough that I can give it to someone else and then they can draw a pretty version of it. And it was also my treat for myself because it's fun for me to do stuff like that. So on my rest day after turning in the manuscript, I, I drew the map and and just sort of tried to come down from the like intense emotionality of this book. It's a very emotional book. There are scenes that made me cry in my read-through, which means those scenes, I think, are doing their job. Like, if I cry, I think I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. The end ends are tricky. I put this quote on uh, Tumblr to go out to the My Imaginary Friends newsletter. It's an Naomi Novik quote. It's, she said, an ending should transform what came before it and give a sense of closure and satisfaction. And I feel like I'm closing it out. I'm giving the satisfaction. I'm not giving that sense of catharsis that I really want. And I don't know that it transforms what came before it. And I, I came across this quote because I was researching Naomi Novik because I last night actually got the chance to moderate her book tour uh, event that came through Alexandria, Virginia, which is reasonably local to me. It's like an hour away. Um, but Naomi Novik is one of my favorite fantasy authors. Uprooted and Spinning Silver are amazing. And so she's on tour for the third book in her Scholomance trilogy, which is The Golden Enclaves. So I was asked to moderate the event just to be her conversation partner for it. And I was completely blown away. I was like, I get to meet Naomi Novik. I've never met her before. And um, try not to fangirl all over her. But I hadn't read this trilogy. So uh, fortunately, I had a month to go through it. Because at this point in my life, like, planning to read a trilogy is just not something, even for one of my favorite authors. So, and it's YA, and I'm not in a YA period. But it was amazing. I loved it. I read the first two books. She ends with very severe cliffhangers. The first book, the cliffhanger, you're like, what? But fortunately, I could immediately start the second book. I finished the second book last week, and the third book didn't come out till this Tuesday. I had like, I only had like three or four days to wait, but I was just on the edge of my seat because that cliffhanger. And the first question I asked her in the event was basically just why? Like, why did you kick us off the cliff? 
But she has such an interesting philosophy and sort of reading interviews with her in preparation for the event over the past week while I was rereading my own book and just feeling inferior in every way. But, um, you know, thinking about the endings, she is a discovery writer, sometimes called a pantser. But I, I think that discovery writer makes is a little bit more charitable, perhaps. She doesn't know what's going to happen until she writes it. Which is obviously, if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, completely the opposite of how I do it. My process is spreadsheets. I am a plotter. I know everything that's going, well, I don't know everything that's going to happen. That's definitely not true. I know the big things that are going to happen. And I know where it's going to end. And I know where I'm going. And the fact that a, a discovery writer can do such a tightly plotted, cyclical, like satisfying trilogy of books, three books, that's one story that closes the doors, it opens and feels like everything was purposeful is just really amazing. And part of the reason why is that in, in this specific trilogy, she is putting the characters through so much. I mean, it's I was tense all the time. And so, you know, you can't really compare. I mean, everybody's book is, is different. And, you know, I don't write like her. I, I will never will. I, I can't try to. And I don't. I could appreciate what she's doing for the craft and the storytelling and the way that the book made me feel when I finished it, which was euphoric when I got to the end of this trilogy, because I'd been through so much. And then reading how her endings just kind of come to her, and she lands them, and then she writes towards them. It's very similar. Like I do think even though I'm a, a inveterate plotter, I also discovery right between the points that I've plotted. Because that's the exciting part. That's the really interesting part. You know, you don't know exactly how you're going to get from point A to point B. And the discovery is the fun of writing and then making it all make sense and making it all work. All that to say that I know I haven't gotten the end right. But like I said before, my brain has breached its limits. Other people will have to tell me. Not what to do, because I don't think another, even an editor can tell you how to fix the problem, but they could identify the problem. And readers can identify the problem. Like, uh, I wasn't sure. And in their articulation of that, it will give me the idea it or it will spark what I will need to fix the problem. And I'm really looking forward to that because I think this could be a really great book. I, I, I love 75% of it. <laughs> and I like the other 25% a lot. And when I get the 25% to where I love it. I'll be gold. I talked about TikTok and the class that I was doing and being on TikTok last week. Um, this week I just posted a little bit. You know, the idea is to post every day while you're growing and to build your following. And, you know, I just, I couldn't do that every day. I didn't want to be on TikTok every day. And also being on TikTok so much, holding the phone sort of flared up some of my, um, nerve issues, my ulnar nerve. My hands started going numb again. So I realized I haven't been taking care of myself the way I'm supposed to. I've been holding the phone in, my, in front of my face and uh, flaring up some stuff that I'd, I had under control. So yeah, back to being really careful. Um, so I hooked up a Bluetooth keyboard to my, my old phone, my TikTok phone, because I have a special phone just for TikTok. And I tried hooking up a mouse. Well, actually, it's this Bluetooth keyboard that comes with a trackpad that I was going to send back, but I'm glad I didn't because uh, it's actually useful for this. The problem is it folds up and 
it splits the keyboard in a, in a weird way that makes it difficult to type in. So because it folds up, it's just inconvenient, but it does have a trackpad on the side so that I can use as a mouse. And I just have to be really careful about not holding the phone when I'm looking at it, when I'm kind of trying to train the algorithm by actually watching TikToks. Um, I do have a, a tripod so I don't hold it when I'm recording. The other thing that is sort of downed my enthusiasm a little bit, other than my hand going numb, was the content that TikTok likes from me is not necessarily the content I want to make. So I have, you know, a couple of my just off the cuff early videos kind of blew up and have like 10,000 views. And there were things I really wanted to talk about. You know, uh, one is about just randomly about black hair and fantasy. And the other one is about the default. And the idea of the white default in fiction is like I put in the post, it's one of my soapbox things. Like so many people read a character and unless they are described as otherwise, they are assumed to be white. And, you know, in different ways, some successful, some not, probably I've been trying to combat the idea that the default of any character is white. And I've learned a lot, actually, from the comments of that. I learned about aphantasia, which is some people, some people's brains are just different. And so they don't visualize what they read. Like, I think the majority of people do. So if you're reading about, you know, a castle, a building, a car, you're seeing something like that in your mind, like a, a movie plays in your mind with that. People with aphantasia do not visualize what they read. They read the words and that's it. And I had heard about it a while ago and I got a lot of feedback from people in the comments who have aphantasia. And I did another little post on that. Um, I also learned that a lot of people just view, imagine themselves as the main character, whatever the character, no matter how they're described, no matter what race they are, they're seeing themselves, which is also fascinating to me. Um, and wonderful. Some people just assume that the, the race of the author is going to be the race of the character, which I think I kind of do also. But yeah, it's just so many just the feedback. It was actually really cool. And in my viewing of TikTok, especially black book talk, um, but also just regular sort of people of color book talk, which I think the algorithm is just showing me all of that because those are the people who are following me um, for various reasons. I'm seeing a lot of just talk about diversity in books, which is great. Like I'm a big proponent of diversity in books, but I do not want my brand to be diversity in books. Like, I'm happy for my brand to be black fantasy, but I'm just not the kind of person who's going to go on a screed about some author who's been accused of being racist in their fiction. You know, I saw a lot of that. A, I'm a Gen Xer and I'm not easily offended. And so my my threshold for what is racist is much higher than I think a lot of people's and a lot of book talks. So there was some controversy recently that I saw people talking about and I was like, okay, what? That's racist, really? Like, since when? And I just, just fundamentally disagree with with some of the the claims that are racist. Like, yeah, probably not a good idea to do some of this stuff, but going from, okay, there's some problematic content in this book to the author is a racist. I'm not here for that. Like, I don't get it. I have just a different threshold. And so I don't want my my TikTok, my brand to be talk to be that. That's not what I'm here to do. And that's not what I'm going to do. And so I felt like, I don't know how the algorithm works, but I feel like, oh, if you're talking about diversity and fiction on book talk, it wants you to be talking about this. It's going to reward you for this content. You're going to get lots of views and pushed out to more people if you're doing what it wants. 
And I think that what it wants is not super productive. I think talking about diversity in fiction is productive, but there is a sort of a negative undercurrent of outrage and like taking it too far that makes me uncomfortable and I don't want to participate in it. And the thing is, I know if I did, my videos, videos would get pushed out really hard. And so it's like, oh, you're trying to, you know, the whole purpose of TikTok is for marketing and to try to get more followers and in essence play the game. But very rarely am I willing and or able to play the game in that way. In the same way that Twitter can often be toxic in the fact you can't have nuanced discussions, even in 280 characters, even in longer threads, and it promotes the most like outrageous and outraged content. TikTok does much the same thing. And that really bothers me. And that has cooled my enthusiasm. So I know I have to do it on my own terms, which means just taking the growth slowly. Anyway, those are my thoughts. So goals. I don't have any goals for the coming week. I'm going to rest. I'm not going to write. Or maybe I will, maybe I'll go back to 750words.com, which is sort of, I haven't been on in a really long time, probably all year. Um, it's a website. I'm grandfathered in, but it's paid now, but you're supposed to write 750 words a day, just a stream of consciousness, just to keep the juices flowing. And I would love to be writing some short stories at some point. I'm diving back into Beastly Kingdom as soon as my break is over. And I'm, I think I might not have to push it back. You know, I hate, I hate the idea of having to push that book back. It's on pre-order right now. And not a huge ton of pre-orders, but I don't want to push it back. So I talked to my agent about the audio stuff, and I just have to see how October goes. If I finish the fast draft and get a good chunk into the revision by the end of October, then I'll be able to make the date. But I'm also dealing with some ergonomic issues. You know, I, I was writing a lot more, which in addition to the TikTok probably it resulted in, you know, my nerve stuff flaring. And uh, I can't push but so hard in terms of typing and writing. But I have been experimenting with dictation and, you know, doing that for the fast draft, which is still the stage I'm in in Beastly Kingdom. So yeah, I have to kind of balance my productivity, my goals I really want to hit, with my health and uh, longevity in this career. And we'll see what comes out on the other end. But yeah, this week I want to read books. I want to read craft books. I have a craft book that I have been not getting through for a, a really long time that I've been wanting to read. There's other projects, there's classes. I have this long list of things like, oh, in this week I can do all these things, which I obviously can't do. And would be the antithesis of resting. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. No, nothing concrete. I'm going to try to actually take it easy and relax. And so I feel like I'm in a period of filling the well of, you know, trying to find all the inspiration I can to take me through the next book and hopefully the, th the third book in the Cyber City series that I want to write as back-to-back -back as possible. This Black Towns book is coming back to me, like I said, probably in two months. So I have to figure that into my schedule of whether or not I have to push Beastly Kingdom back, which now that I think about it, I'm not thinking about it. I don't know. It makes the most sense to push it back, but I'm going to fight it tooth and nail as long as I can. So that is it for me for this week. And I hope that you have a wonderful week. And I'll talk to you next week.
for episode show notes and to sign up for the fitness newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. You can email me at podcast at lpenelope.com and I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcasts.